Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Well, welcome and thank you all for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a special chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. We do have a special chat room with a marvelous group of people. You know, some people come all the time, some people come periodically, but we always learn something new from each other, and it enhances uh, the information we we get in the interview too. So do come join us. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right. The subject of um, this week's spotlight is the ultimate frontier. If you ask most people today, they will tell you the ultimate frontier is space. Last week, we marveled at the soft landing of the Rosetta's Philae probe on Comet 67P some 317 million miles from Earth. Now, the lander is reported as weighing some 220 pounds and is about the size of a home washing machine. And the comet is only 2.5 miles in diameter. Imagine that. Any way you think about this, it is absolutely historic and simply amazing. So is space our ultimate frontier? Will searching the heavens for life out there become the landscape? for our newest breed of pioneers? I think the likelihood for this is very high indeed. However, I believe we have a concurrent ultimate frontier going on right here at home. I have for most of my life thought of the mind as the ultimate frontier. I do believe that we become what we think, that in more ways than one might imagine thinking is destiny. My work has proven time and again that mind can be healer and mind can be slayer. My books and lectures focus on the power of the mind and how little conscious control most of us have over our choices and behavior, despite the fact that we think otherwise. That said, there is also this amazing potential that rests within all. For example, we know through acquired savant syndrome, such as that experienced by Jason Paget who visited us here on Provocative Enlightenment, that sometimes a blow to the head can release superhuman abilities. Jason was mugged one evening, and when he awoke in the hospital, he had become a number theorist and mathematician with acquired Savant syndrome and synesthesia. Quoting the report from LiveScience.com, in 2002, two men savagely attacked Jason Paget outside a karaoke bar, leaving him with a severe concussion and post-traumatic stress disorder. But the incident also turned Paget into a mathematical genius. And according to Jason himself on this show, he sees the world through the lens of geometry. Now, Paget's not alone. Derek Amato fell and hit his head while catching a football. The force of the impact released millions of neurons in the brain, and after being treated at the hospital for concussion, he was able to play the piano perfectly. 
even though he had no prior experience with the piano. We're, talking, we're not talking about simple tunes. We're talking about the most complicated piano music available. Orlando Serrell was hit in the side of the head by a baseball. Not long thereafter, he discovered his ability to remember the weather every single day since the accident, and he was able to perform very complicated calendar calculations as well. Now, there are more examples of acquired savant syndrome, but there are also all of those individuals who are born savants. Jerry and Mary Newport are the couple whose lives are portrayed in the film Mozart and the Whale. Jerry is often referred to as the world's most versatile calculator, and Mary has a special talent for art and piano. Kim Peek, or the real Rain Man, was born with severe brain damage. Kim struggles with ordinary motor skills and has difficulty walking. He is severely disabled, cannot button his shirt, and tests well below average on a general IQ test. But what Kim can do is astounding. He has read some 12,000 books and remembers everything about them. He reads two pages at once. His left eye reads the left page and his right eye reads the right page. It takes him about three seconds to read through two pages and he remembers everything on them. So the world has seen many savants, and those mentioned are but the tip of the proverbial iceberg, but they do express the potential that may lay dormant in the brains of all. We are learning more and more every day about this potential and how it may ultimately be regulated by science. Last week, McGill University announced what they call, and I quote, the science behind total recall. According to the new international study led by the Research Institute, of the McGill University Health Center, a molecule that puts a break on brain processing has been identified. And when removed, brain function and memory recall is dramatically improved. The molecule is known as FXR1P. According to Dr. Keith Murray, and I quote, the role of FXR1P was a surprising result. Previous to our work, no one had identified a role for this regulator in the brain. Our findings have provided fundamental knowledge about how the brain processes information. Future research in this area could be very interesting. Close quote. Think about that. Not only will this discovery potentially lead to possible cures for diseases like autisms or Alzheimer's, but it may provide the gateway to total recall. Imagine taking a pill, something that blocks FXR1P. You take this pill just before you sit down to study, cram for an exam. You sit back, confidently reviewing your text and notes, knowing that everything you revise will be available as part of your total recall whenever you want it. Wow. Epigenetics has already informed us of the potential the mind has by way of influencing the gene. We know that our environments and our thoughts directly influence gene expressions. In fact, a study I read just this morning shows that the gene is actually influenced when a mother touches an infant's hand while they cry. 
Very interesting. But take this. How about a gene switch? One that responds to our thoughts. One that we can direct very specifically. Well, Mark Folker and other researchers from the group led by Martin Fusenegger, professor of biotechnology and bioengineering at the Department of Biosystems in Basel, have developed a novel gene regulation method that enables thought-specific brain waves to control the conversion of genes into proteins, called gene expression in technical terms. Thoughts then control the protein quantity. Controlling genes in this way is completely new, and it's unique in its simplicity. So one day we may be able to think the gene expression we seek in a very targeted and direct way using some simple brainwave interface. I think on that one, you know, push a button, grow your hair back. So one day soon. Ah, I don't know. One day soon. I find it very exciting to live at a time where discoveries of this nature come almost every month. What tomorrow may hold for every one of us is nothing short of wondrous. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? You know, I think uh, technology is marvelous. I've still, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this uh, protein that gets blocked, and I can't even remember the name of it, and you just said it, but I definitely need it to have much better memory. Well, you don't need the protein. You need to block I the need protein. To block, I need to block. You see, there you go. I need I help. I don't know that you need to do anything. <laughs> you have an excellent memory, but I think we would all like that, and I, I think we would all like, you know, this special EEG unit that, uh, you know, we can use a brain wave to cause a gene expression to manifest as we would choose for it to manifest. That you know, combination of what's being done with light and brain waves and sound. To me, the technology today is just, it's just awesome. Awesome. It is. It's a bit scary too, though. You know, it's like the butterfly effect. You make this one little change and what ramifications can it have? And I'm checking. Everything in my view is like a surgeon's scalpel. You can use it for great Uh good. You can use it for great harm. Okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our guest was Professor Fred Allen Wolf, and we discussed the relationship between physics and consciousness. In his latest book, Professor Wolf finds reasons based on his interpretation of physics to assert that God created the universe. I like that idea. However, he did admit that this was... But one possible interpretation, and he further conceded that physics failed to prove either God or his postulated field of consciousness. Indeed, when I pressed him on the objective nature of proof, he insisted that it requires mind to observe the objective, and therefore there is no such thing as objective, because everything begins and ends in the mind. As such, the subjective mind is the observer of a subjectively construed reality that does not exist without the subjective observation. (laughs) To this, Richard commented, Is he then talking about layers of consciousness, that of the observer observing the observee? This feels like I'm reading Martin Heidegger. A circle inside a circle inside a circle. 
Mark wrote, last week Dr. Fred Allen Wolf presented a hypothesis about man's relationship with existence. According to Dr. Wolf, man can never know for certain whether an objective reality exists outside his own mind. If that's the case, then where does knowledge come from? If it is acquired by our minds through our cognitive contact of the natural world, then there must be an objective world. However, Dr. Wolf hypothesizes that the human mind, along with the notion of self, is but a projection of the mind field. In effect, he denies the notions of self, mind, and free choice outside of this mind field. We are basically holographic projections of this field. Moreover, by casting doubt on the existence of an objective reality outside our minds, he seems to imply that all knowledge comes from the mind field and not from our cognitive contact with the natural world. In effect, Dr. Wolf presents a Cartesian rationalistic model of existence. That is, since all I know for certain is what I can experience and all I experience are my thoughts, then all I know for certain is that my mind exists. Life is but a dream. He thus conflates the mind with existence itself. I find such a worldview to be dubious and speculative. While I believe that the idea of a minefield could be real, the burden of proof is on Dr. Wolf to offer more solid evidence to support his hypothesis, which is based largely on speculation upon a shaky foundation. That's a great letter, Mark. Very well said, and uh, I totally concur. Judy wrote, love the provocative enlightenment show. Thanks, Eldon Taylor and Fred Allen Wolf. Scott wrote, Eldon, I love your work and never miss a show. Hayden wrote, hi, Eldon. Thank you so much for your life's work. You have helped me in so many positive ways. And for this, I am eternally grateful. Well, Hayden, thank you. You just made my day. We like that around here, don't we, Rav? Yes, we do. Alexia wrote, I love Eldon Taylor's Intertalk CDs. Stephanie wrote, thank you for your wonderful CDs. My sister and I are both using your subliminal metabolism CD with great results. And Joseph wrote, I hate to admit it, but I wouldn't want to miss your radio show, and I'd be in real trouble if I hadn't found your CDs when I did. Thank you, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, all of you, for your feedback. That's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldentaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. That's a great place to exchange ideas. Now to this week's show, your quantum breakthrough code with my friend, Sandra Ann Taylor. Sandra Taylor is the New York Times bestselling author of several books, including Quantum Success. Sandra teaches the principles of thought, energy, karma, and attraction, firmly believing that we each have the power to turn our lives around through our own consciousness, energy, and intention. She strives to separate the real facts from the confusing, the fiction that has been built up around personal achievement and so-called universal laws. She combines her experience of helping people in her 25 years in private psychological practice with the principles of consciousness to bring structure and clarity to the pursuit of happiness and personal development. Her direct approach creates powerful yet practical techniques and guided visualizations that are designed to empower the individual both personally and professionally. And, though her approach is practical, it always includes a deeper look at the presence and assistance that spirit can bring to our lives. Her desire in all her work is to help people to arrive at a deepening sense of self-love and worthiness 
peace and purpose that brings real fulfillment on a daily basis. I was just on her show, and you can hear Sandra's insights and life-affirming principles weekly on her radio show, Living Your Quantum Success, Mondays on HayHouseRadio.com. So on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Sandra Ann Taylor. Well, thank you, Eldon. It's such a pleasure to be on your show. Well, it's an honor to have you join us. You know, I was with you, as you heard me uh, say, just this last Monday, but we didn't really get a chance to chat. So how have you been since I saw you in Pasadena last, and what have you been up to? Oh, I've been busy, busy. Um, My latest book came out, Your Quantum Breakthrough Code, and I've been going around speaking on that. And um, my son got married. And that was a big event in our lives. So um, it's just wow. been very exciting and very busy. And, and I understand, I mean, you know, on the personal, we, you were running around to the hospital or something last night. Is that right? Uh, yes. My uh, grandson had some um, uh, MRSA, believe it or not. And he had to have mm-hmm. a couple very minor surgeries, but he's all better now. So everything is all good. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. All right, Sandra, what we like to do here has at least three objectives in it. Who is the messenger, what is the message, and how do we use it? So let's begin by having you tell us about your background. What sort of youngster were you? Were you raised religious? (laughs) Did you believe in ghosts or the like as a child? Um, You know, were you athletic, popular? In other words, who were you as a young person? Well, um, a big part of my defining experience is being uh, half of an identical twin, half of a set of identical twins. And I don't know if it's our twinship or sharing the same DNA or whatever, but we had from early on all the way through our lives the phenomenon of being aware of what was happening to the other person. Um, when we weren't together. For instance, there was one time when um, my, we were about seven at the time, and my sister was at, the, the, at a program at the YMCA, and I was helping my mother with the laundry in the basement, and all of a sudden I started screaming and jumping up and down, and she came running over, and, and she said, are you hurt? And I said, yes. And she said, where? And I said, I don't know, I don't know. And as soon as I said that, the phone rang, and uh, it was the why calling about my sister who had stepped on a nail. And wow. as soon as we heard that, they were going to take her to the hospital, and they asked my mother, and, I, and then I completely calmed down. Stuff like that happened to us all of the time. Now, I'm not going to attempt to explain it scientifically or otherwise. <laughs> I'm just going to say that was a part of our upbringing and, you know, it was just something we thought everyone, we, we were in high school before uh, we found out that people couldn't read their siblings' minds and know what was going on. So it was like um, a gift of, all right, here's an unusual uh, phenomenon in the life experience, now go explore it. And so we both did, and that's a big part of what made me go into psychology, parapsychology, studying, meditation, all the things that I did as an adult. So you're an identical twin. The two of you are attending school together. I mean, 
you have the same boyfriend? I mean, do you ever, <laughs> you know, fight about who's who's with whom? And, no, I mean, don't we, we have some of these confusion? Huh? No, we didn't do that. And a lot of people ask, did you switch on your boyfriends? No, we didn't do that. Uh, had a little bit too much integrity or maybe fear to do that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we had fun goofing around with friends and pretending to be each other and, and little minor experiences. But um, most of our friends who know us well know the difference. But um, our telephone voice is exactly the same. Even our mother doesn't know our telephone voice still. So you may be talking to my sister. <laughs> well, your sister's also an author. She recently she uh, um, had one of her book, her, her first book, I guess it was, isn't it? it just yes, published with by Hay House, House called Power Words. And it's yeah. a wonderful book, and it talks about um, very um, powerful techniques that you can use by making command words and directive words and um, uplifting words. And uh, it's, it's, I love it. It's a wonderful book. It's called Power Words, and her name so is So now what, what took Sharon her so Klingler. long to begin writing? Your identical twins. This, your, your latest book is what, six or seven? Eight. In eight. So it's number eight. So what mm-hmm. took her so long to get started? Well, she had written a couple books. She's a medium. And um, she had written an audio program and, and several books and several CDs on uh, developing your spiritual connections and that tough type of thing, which she had self-published. And also uh, Random House UK had published a book called Intuition and Beyond. So this is just her first um, published by Hay House. Oh, I got you. All right. Now, she is a medium, yes. and you are identical twins, yes. and I have done some research on identical twins, mm-hmm. especially even those that have been you know, separated at the time of birth and yeah. weren't aware that they were identical twins, and it would seem that they share a lot more than just an awareness of one another. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you consider yourself a medium as well? I do, and and the fact that, you know, I do energy readings, and I pick up past lives. I do pick up spirit, some some energy of spirit around people when I'm doing my readings, but I'm not, um, that's not all I, I do, and it's not all Sherry does, but she is really, like, dead-on accurate. I mean, she'll get six, seven names and how people died, and I don't go into that kind of process. I want... As a psychologist, I was in a practice, as you mentioned, a psychological practice for 25 years. I want to see what what energy is going on here and what do we need to do to change it, to shake things up and to move on to um, uh, much better results in our life. So she does focus more on the spirit level. So let's address that. You left high school. Did you Mm -hmm. you go to college? Oh, yeah. Where'd you go? We both went to Pittsburgh. I went to Duquesne University, and she went to Point Park. Did you both study uh, psychology? She studied psychology, and I got my um, bachelor's in education. I taught high school for seven years, and then I went to grad school and then went into um, uh, counseling. And and so then uh, for 25 years, you... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, she went on into... um, Believe it or not, a, a very um, extreme detour when she uh, when she took up engineering because my father had a construction company and she took up engineering for a while. So interesting. 
All right, well, we've got a break coming up, but we'll, okay. but when we come back, we'll pick it up where we are. Uh, sure. You know, I I like to know a little more of this before we get into, you know, the subject of your material because again, we like to know who the messenger is. And at some point, you made a decision to become a public figure, so that's where we'll go when we okay. get back. <laughs> okay. We're speaking with Sandra Taylor about her life, work, and books, including her latest, your Quantum Breakthrough Code. You can learn more about Sandra by visiting sandrataylor.net. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With InnerTalk, Elton Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. InnerTalk works by priming how you talk to yourself and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals. Anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your talent today. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Sandra Taylor about her life, work, and books, including her latest, your quantum breakthrough quote. Now, we ask our guests for up to three songs, songs that have some special significance to them. 
Music does elicit some very strong memories, and often it calls on deeply emotional states of being. And in many ways, our favorite music can say a lot about who we are. Some pretty heavy lyrics in I'm Easy, so now we just played Easy Like Sunday Morning by Lionel Richie. Why is this one special to you, Sandra, and how does it tell us about whom you are? Well, I was going, it's about um, moving on from a difficult and controlling uh, relationship, and I was going through a similar transition uh, when that song was popular, and instead of focusing on what I was losing, you know, he talks about the freedom to be what he wants to be and not trying to live the way others want him to live. And I had realized that that's what I had been doing in my previous relationship, and it it was very exciting to me to think of my life as being easy like Sunday morning, because Sunday morning to me is one of the easiest times of the week, and I love it. And um, it was like a freedom call for me. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Okay, so your life hasn't been perfect. You weren't born a superstar standing no. on the stage with a gold spoon. No, two uh, divorces. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, believe it or not, I, I know that you relate to this. People do somehow expect that sometimes, you know, you, where you are is where you were born. That You didn't really have to go through all the things that you have to go through to get where you are. So yeah. what... What what was the point at which you decided, okay, I'm not a school teacher anymore, and, you know, I've had enough psychological practice, I've seen enough patients for a bit, I think what I want to do is become a public figure, or how exactly did that happen? Well, I actually didn't think of it as becoming a public figure. I was uh, in my psychology practice, and I was... Um, also reading about the uh, principles of quantum physics. And in reading that, I thought, gee, some of this really sounds like these energetic, you know, principles can be applied to the human experience. And so I started teaching my clients about their negative thinking, as you do, and how it affects, you know, the self-criticism can, you know, affect your reality. And if you change yourself to a, a self-loving and self-honoring being, it really produces different results in your life. So I was teaching people this, and at the time there wasn't a lot of information on it, not in the contemporary world. There was some from, you know, uh, Robert Collier and people in the early 1900s, uh, mm-hmm. but um, it was long before The Secret and stuff. So uh, people were asking me, well, where do I get more information about it? And that's when I decided... I was going to write my first book, Secrets of Attraction, which dealt with um, the energies of the romantic relationship. And you're right, we don't have perfect lives, and I actually believe that my difficult relationships are what led me to find out how to get out of them and help other people move on to to, uh, more idyllic type of experiences in relationships. So that's what caused me to write my first book, and I never thought of it much of, as going public. And in fact, at the beginning, I just self-published and uh, sold the book to my clients and at my seminars for, gosh, about ten, at least 10 years before I started um, seeking a wider audience and looking for a publisher. 
Well, all right. You've written several books. And before mm-hmm. we get too far down the road here, uh, there are a couple of things that pop out to any observer. You go to Amazon or Barnes or Books a Million. You you put in Sandra Taylor, and here come the books. Yep. And when you look at them, those couple of things that pop out, you just kind of touched on. Mm-hmm. The first is the use of the word quantum, mm-hmm. and the second is, um, you know, the law of attraction. So <clears throat> let's take the first of these to begin. What do you mean when you use the word quantum, Sandy? Well, I mean, um, you know, when I was studying quantum physics and I, I kind of went deeper into it than most people do and far deeper than I, ex- I express in my books because, you know, most people want, don't want to learn the actual science. But when I use the word quantum, um, I mean at a basic energy level. You know, quantum is about... Um, you know, the duality of particle and, and wave and energetic um, types of principles. And uh, that's what I kind of refer to the, uh, in terms of quantum um, uh, applying to the, the human experience as an energetic experience. Okay, so when, we, when you're using the word quantum, you're not talking about um, a differentiation between a level and another level, or you are. I mean, um, you know, the word it has a lot of an, an, a lot of different meanings, it like does. quantum efficiency, and that's that's why mm-hmm. I want to clarify this. You're really talking about human energy and how right. we use that energy. Is right. uh, have I got that correct? That's exactly how I see it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm not talking off. about the twin photon experiment and all the various things that you could get into, which I'm sure you do on your wonderful show. Um, We do get into those things, and I want to head off some of the email that I might get otherwise. Yeah, sure. And that's one of the reasons I want, you know, I wanted to define this so that we're all talking about the same thing. Right. So to you, this is the use of energy. All right. Now, let let me take this other one on. I know you well enough to know that you do not subscribe to Rhonda Byrne's notion of everything that happens to you does so because you created it. It's in your thoughts. In other words, if you are raped, it is because you attracted the rape and so forth. That makes me crazy, Eldon. It makes me crazy. I know. And from our earlier conversations, I also know that you do not expect this attraction factor to work like the law of gravity, meaning... (laughs) Every time you hold a thought, it necessarily is followed by a manifestation reflecting that thought. So what I want you to do, please, is flesh out for us what you mean when you refer to the attraction principle or your use of the law of attraction. And I hate the word law in this sense. I know. And there are many more but, principles than one simple thing that they broke down into three words, you know, Ask, right. believe, receive, uh, you know, yeah, life is way more complex than that. And I wrote a lot about this in uh, my book, Truth, Triumph, and Transformation, which, what, what I called about the lies of attraction, which are basically, if, as you said, if something bad happens to you, it's all your fault. You will not believe the emails I get from people who, who have cancer or this or that and difficulties and we need to know that there's way more complex stuff going on. There are the cycles of life, the cycles of nature, the cycles of the body, the soul. And 
we have these different experiences, not just because of our thinking, but because of a lot of different influences um, that we face and we um, go through. We, we need to uh, understand our lives as a, a big package, not just the eventuality of one event based on one pattern of thinking. Now, do our thoughts create our reality? Not in terms of specific. I've known people, I was in my practice, I treated phobias. And so many people had the fear of heart attack, the fear of cancer, the fear of this or that, and nobody ever got what they were afraid of. So the specifics are not necessarily what I focus on. What I focus on is the energetic quality. Our thoughts create our reality because when you fear cancer all the time, when you fear a heart, a heart attack all the time, you are going to be miserable. <laughs> You're going to be utterly miserable. And then that creates a miserable reality because right. how and, can you and, be happy? And the fear itself suppresses the optimal operation of yeah. body functions, ANS, mm-hmm. androcon immune. Yep. And uh, so it, it does, you know, render you more susceptible to all kinds of things. Yes. So yes. it's mm-hmm. the energetic level of, of what you're talking about. And that's what you mean by attraction. And I so totally, totally agree with that. All right. Now we have that fleshed out. Good. Let's talk about your message. Why did you write your quantum breakthrough code? Um, I was kind of compelled, and um, it sounds strange, but I'll just give it to you as I uh, as it actually happened. You're probably going to answer one of my questions, so <laughs> go ahead, please do. Okay, and um, I was dealing. You know, I, I'm I'm a life coach now. I went beyond the psychology because, you know, you can't if you can't introduce some spiritual stuff and some soul stuff in my book, you know, it leaves a big piece of the puzzle missing. Uh, I agree. Might agree uh, in pastoral psychology means more to me than any of the other degrees. I agree. I agree with that. So, but anyway, so I I deal with people who are trying to change their thinking, and there was this young woman I was dealing with who had some major self-esteem problems. Her name is Peggy, and I talk about her in the book, and she... um, wasn't comfortable in groups, in social situations, even with her family. Uh, she was in a small sales team, and she had difficulty looking at people in, in a group of seven or eight people. And so what we did, we really used um, meditation, affirmation, a lot of different uh, uh, tools to get her comfortable. And she, was, she got great with her family, great in small groups, but she hit a block. She hit a wall. And as I was falling to sleep one evening, I said to no one in particular, there must be something easy Peggy could do to change her thinking and really be comfortable in all sorts of situations so her career can really take off. And I had a dream that night about this very specific position about placing your fingers around the the uh, the third eye or the the sixth chakra, using decoding statements, looking up at that point with your eyes closed, and then releasing it, and then doing some coding by placing just the fingers of your right hand on your third eye or your sixth chakra, 
And uh, the, the voice that talked to me gave me the very specific position, very specific types of coding and decoding statements, and then said, teach this to Peggy and to anyone who wants to learn how to change their, their energy, their reality. And I thought, I woke up and I wrote everything down, and I started teaching it to Peggy and, uh, and my uh, private clients. And later I did an online seminar. I thought, I am not going to write a book about this till I see that it works. I don't care who told it to me in the dream. i got to make sure it works. So about three years later uh, is when I wrote the book. And uh, in that time, Peggy went from being on this small sales team, which had been her experience of her life, uh, into to being an executive in an international company. And uh, in, instead of being uncomfortable in p- meetings of seven or eight, she was running and speaking to conferences of seven and eight hundred people. And uh, it, it totally reversed her life, uh, and people have used the process to quit smoking, to lose weight, to actually find this kind of self-love that attracts love and uh, different types of success. So when I saw that people were really using this and utilizing it in a way that helped them and made their lives better, that's when I wrote the book. Okay, I want to get into detail on that, but I want to digress a bit first sure. because you, you mentioned the importance of spirituality, and that's the reason you transitioned from psychology to life coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you, you know, spirituality itself means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Oh, sure. Uh, I want you to kind of unpack that for us because... You know, there's a substantial difference between fundamentalism, whether among Christians and Muslims or anyone else, than there is in the more progressive, inclusivistic view that we sometimes find in what's called the New Age. So what do you mean by spiritual? I believe that the most important element of spiritual... I'm not particularly religious at this point, although I was raised Catholic. Um, and uh, I don't practice that any longer. Um, I believe that the important piece is the recognition of the eternal soul and the power and value and worthiness that that soul brings into your life. Um, Another element that I believe in is the continuity of life, which means after we die, we still move on, we, and, of course, I wrote a, an entirely other book, your hidden, The Hidden Powers of Your Past Lives, based on, you know, the theory right, of the You and I talked about that stuff. one, actually. You were on the show. I interviewed yeah. you about that one. It's a good book, yeah. Anyway, okay. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep going. Well, that's the, those are the two main principles, I believe, um, in terms of a spiritual practice, um, is prioritizing some connection with and identification with the soul and really awakening the power that is asleep there. At the beginning of the show, you were talking about the the people that got hit in the head and awakened all sorts of power in their brain. I believe we also have unawakened power that our soul can bring to us, and um, the spiritual path, what I call spirituality, um, to me is largely the intention to create that connection and a deep sense of realization of that presence and power in our lives. 
And let me ask you if there's a third component, uh, just so I clarified here, and that would have to do with, let's assume you have the connection, let's assume this is your intention. <clears throat> How you express that? Is that service to others? Oh, it can be. It absolutely, it can be. Um, it's so individual, you know. You know, some people get into wide service to others, becoming nurses and, um, you know, serving people in grand ways. Um, others serve others by being compassionate with their family and learning how to be loving in difficult situations and loving to themselves. So service comes in a lot of shapes and sizes, and um, and it, at, that absolutely, I think, is one of the intentions of the soul. Okay, cool. We share that in common as well. All right. One more question before we go into the coding and the decoding aspect of your book and your work, okay? Sure. Um, for all intent and purposes, when you first get into the book, you um, you tell a story about how it was given to you, mm-hmm. and and just as you did here, you know, you you basically just lay lay that out, and and you clarify somewhat because you say now this is three years, but if I get this right, you're going to take your fingers and you're going to touch your third eye, point between your 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 brows, and you're going to make certain statements. You're going to code and decode, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about that. But but how is how is that different than um, EFT tapping, or for that matter, Alex Lowe's healing codes? Um, you know, I someone after I'd been teaching this for a couple of years, someone told me about the healing code, and I looked it up, and there is, you know, some hands around the ears and the the throat and stuff like that, and then you send energy in. Yeah, different um, touching it, places, but but one of the touching places is the third eye. Is it really? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I I didn't study it that much, but I don't know exactly how. Well, Doctor Lloyd was his. on our show, and that's the reason I know. But that's. But, but go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. Um, it, it's it's just, um, and it's different than EFT, and I don't know. Some people have said that it's similar to EFT, and it may be. And in fact, I, it probably is to a certain degree. I have friends that are practitioners in. EFT, including David Feinstein, who's a good friend of mine, um, and, uh, you know, they tap different places on the forehead and under the eyes and on the arms and the wrist and the hand. Um, and this is, it may be the same thing, but what I feel the intention was for this was, um, well, there were two purposes here. I think the energy... Uh, I, that is focused is into the mind, where, as you often talk about, is is really the powerful director of destiny. And so that's why it's just around the third eye. And then also the process of raising your eyes while they're closed automatically puts you into alpha and alpha brain frequency, even though you might not be in a meditative state or a trance state or even a sleep state, um, for a few moments it puts you into alpha brain frequency, which, as you know, you talk about in your wonderful book, Choices and Illusions, is the most is creative state of mind. Um, so I think that's, you know, I am not taking, like, 
credit for this. <laughs> and I'm just saying, when, once I was given this, I looked into what could be scientifically behind this. And I think it's about the third eye being connected to thought and reason and changing neural pathways and also um, doing this in the alpha brain frequency, which is um, a more creative state. And people seem to be finding um, a great deal of efficacy from it, so I'm just assuming that that's the reason. Well, Well, let me say this. Let me add this. It is definitely much more systematized than what I have seen in, say, tapping. In fact, you know, to me, that gets really complicated because initially EFT tapping is all about, um, you know, the meridian system. It's it, mm-hmm. it's all about Chinese medicine and chi energy. And so, you know, I'm I'm actually I'm doing I'm manipulating the meridians and in, in what a lot of people think of as acupressure, but in, you know, through a tapping method. And then all right. of a sudden I can tap for money. I can tap for, you know, my my teenage son says can you tap for sex uh <laughs> i you know it really only a so, teenager eldon <laughs> yeah no kidding well isn't it a good thing thoughts aren't things literally that because if that attraction factor was was a law these teenage boys who have sex on their mind every 10 seconds imagine oh, yeah, the world right. we'd have. <laughs> they wouldn't get uh, anything done <laughs> no <laughs> but at any rate, your system is, uh, and, I, and I call it system, your system is systematized. And when you combine it with the coding and the decoding, I think it's much further away from EFT per se, maybe closer to what Alex Lloyd is doing. But it is unique, and it does seem, I mean, I played with it, obviously, when, when I worked with a book, and I can't say it works on me definitely, because I've had your book for a week, yeah. but it is a powerful technology or appears to be and it seems to have the components that would be very beneficial look we have a hard break coming up and i don't want to boot it out so but when we come back we'll pick it up from where we are we'll talk about coding and decoding if you would like to know more about sandra taylor and her work and books visit her website at sandrataylor.net now we have a video for you during the break of our guest discussing her new book you can check it out by joining the chat room just go to pro provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. It's not your fault until you know better. Self-defeating, self-sabotaging thoughts can be eliminated. It may be difficult to accept, but the fact is magnetic resonance imaging shows us that your subconscious mind makes almost all of your decisions while your conscious mind makes up reasons to explain your choices. In order to rid yourself of those self-defeating thoughts and ideas, the fear and doubt that can hold you back, you must change the way you talk to yourself. Nothing does this faster or better than our patented InnerTalk technology. Scientifically proven effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies, InnerTalk has repeatedly been demonstrated effective. Change has never been easier. Now you can improve your life almost automatically by rewriting the scripts hidden away in your subconscious. Guaranteed to work. No reason to wait. So don't delay. Go to innertalk.com today. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. 
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Sandra Taylor about her work and books, including her newest, and it's a great read, your Quantum Breakthrough Quote. Now, Sandra, we just played your second musical choice in mm-hmm. the air tonight by Phil Collins. So please tell us what's up with this one. Well, you know, um, I am a music lover. I love to listen to music, and I used to sing, and... Um, Whenever I hear music, I feel like the percussion is the heartbeat of God. I feel like music is a gift from God, and I feel the percussion is like a give, uh, uh, the heartbeat of God. And throughout this song, you can feel the beating percussion, and, and of course it leads up to the big drum rolls and different things at the time. Um, and I just feel like that is... Um, an undercurrent to to life. You know, the heartbeat of God is an undercurrent to all of our lives, and when we uh, can get in touch with that, and I just feel that in that song, especially especially when he talks about, you know, I know there's some negative lyrics in there too, but and I guess I've spent a lot of my life getting out of controlling relationships, but <laughs> what I, uh, the, the lyrics that I love is that I can feel it coming in the air tonight. There's a freedom. There's something exciting is going to happen. And then you have this wonderful divine heartbeat underpinning it all. And that's what I love about that. Interesting. You know, one of the things that I enjoy about you, Sandra, is your candidness. You'd be surprised how many times we have somebody on the air and 
and they choose a song, and the song has very self-revealing lyrics, and, you know, <laughs> their words are, yeah, but the lyrics don't mean anything. <laughs> We've actually even had guests come on the show that denied that being the music they chose. Oh, somebody in my staff messed up. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's good. You know, we all you know we all find music uh, to have that kind of quality that it does. Uh, it literally can uh, invite a spiritual openness in it, and it mm-hmm. can also excite a rage. It it is a very music is very passionate. You know, yeah. one of the things, one of the reasons we incorporate it in our show is uh, based on research that has shown us you can take patients that are otherwise, you know, um, just not there and play them a piece of music uh, out of their, you know, their age, when they were in their mid-20s or in their teenage years, and they're suddenly bright-eyed, they're speaking to you, they answer questions, they're completely lucid. Mm -hmm. There is an aspect of music that resides in all of us, and when we talk about you know, the magic in the brain and how we might access these things. Music has got to be one of the keys to one of the doorways, in my view. But oh, I, I appreciate really your candor, and I agree with you. That is, uh, that's, I will listen to this music again, and I will see it differently now, not just the lyrics, because it does have that heart rate rhythm and that repeated petition for God. So, yeah, great, I, great I love choice. it. It can carry you to a different place, and yeah, it doesn't surprise me about you know people becoming lucid when they're hearing music from their time because it carries them it can carry your mind to that place and that time when you were lucid or when you were in pain or when you were excited about the future it brings back that energy and um it i don't know what it stimulates in the brain you could probably tell me better than that but uh, i it just there's something about it that makes you feel different feel better Amen. Okay, you know, speaking of repetition, before we jump into the codes, please explain what you mean by repeating patterns in life. And more to the point, why do we have them? Well, you know, and and this is one thing I love about your books, is uh, because they often talk about how we get indoctrinated through so many sources, from our parents, from television, from our peers, and we have what I call reactive patterns that just repeat and repeat. They're persistent blocks to our happiness, the achievement of our desires, and um, we live with the patterns as an undercurrent of our lives without even knowing it. And, And you talk about that a lot, without even being aware. And what we don't realize is that that creates the predominant energy. So if one of our reactive patterns is um, a feeling of powerlessness, then that is a part of our life force energy, and it causes us to be inactive, indecisive, and, and for some people see themselves in a victim mentality. And all of these, as they become a part of your life force energy and the global, the, the, the broader reason why, not like the law of attraction, quote, law of attraction, (laughs) um, why we produce what we do in our lives, 
because of our life force energy. How far can you get if, if one of your reactive patterns, and really what I mean by reactive patterns are the unconscious habits of how we react to the people, situations, and even our own perceptions and emotions in our life. So if powerlessness is one of them and we become inactive and have a victim mentality, it's pretty much guaranteed that we're not going to achieve the things that we need to take action about. You know, the data shows that, you know, the the new model of how we handle things, our mind is basically, you know, system A and system B or system 1, system 2, however you want to look at that. But... <clears throat> Ninety percent of what we do in our life is automatic. We we don't really think about it, you know. Yep. Uh, so we'll call that system one, system one thinking, all automatic. System two, that part where I I deliberate, uh, I consider alternatives and ramifications and so forth. So, are, uh, am I interpreting you correctly to say? That what you talk about when you talk about reactive patterns would be manifest in this 90% of our behavior? I would think pretty close to that. I would think pretty close to that. If you live in powerlessness, or let's say you live in a chronic self-criticism, you're going to be, be very submissive. You're going to, to not want to speak up for yourself. Um, a lot of um, people that have low self-esteem don't have the, or don't feel they have the power to express themselves and speak their truths. And um, these are all some of the reactive patterns. And yes, I would say I'm not certain 90%, but certainly well over half of the time, these can be a driving force as as you as well you know which is why you've created that great inner tap talk program that um helps to reverse them as well thank you but let's unpack this a little further because i think it's important here and and what you're doing is important because so many fixes out there aren't really fixes they're band-aids they you know They give rise to symptom substitution and or they just simply don't work but for a short period of time. And and I know you know that. Mm-hmm. So let's let's follow the model a little here. Do you believe it's possible for us to have positive automatic responses, or we might call those you know, any response that is just positive, reactive. Yeah, so can sure. We, can you condition the positive reactive? And if you can, can we then see that all right, ninety percent of what you're gonna do in your life is gonna come out of this programming that we have just labeled, you know, the system one reactive. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I, I would, and you can, I do believe that you can, um, with intention and with the right methodology, um, you can create spontaneous, and we do have reactive po- patterns that are positive. Those aren't the ones we need to change, however, so, right, <laughs> and they usually right. aren't the ones that really fill the life. We, most of us are filled with the negative reactive patterns. But I do believe that you can, you can get into a state of mind where you spontaneously come to a positive reaction. And then if you can't, even after you've done it spontaneously very well for quite a long time, you can always go back to the, the basic tools um, 
that you use to change it in the first place. Uh, the, the, I ta- I, several people told me they quit smoking using this um, process, and I, I spoke to one of them recently, and I said, well, well, how is it? I mean, do you have the, the urge, the desire to smoke? And he said, yes, I do. Sometimes I do. And sometimes I can go days without that desire. But whenever I, the urge comes up, I simply do the, the coating and it subsides. And so right. it's an easy process that can be plugged in when you're not in a sponta- spontaneously positive reaction. So that, that is the goal. That is the objective. I mean, yes. look, if, if we're wired in a certain way, we have to understand how we are hardwired. And it yes. serves us that so much of what we do is automatic. It serves just as much as it serves us that I'm not aware of all the somatic information going on in my body right this minute. Uh, it, it serves me to be able to narrow my attention. It serves me to be able to do things automatically. So the objective, the goal is to take system one in our model and make all of the behavior that comes out of that automatic reaction, that reactiveness, to use your word, to make that the kind of behavior that we would consciously choose to be behavior that, for all intent and purposes, fosters the highest best in humanness. Is Have I got that right? Absolutely. And I believe that that, uh, there is a natural state within us that is actually prone to that. My dear, beloved friend, Candace Pert, who has now passed on, uh, used to say we're hardwired for bliss. And the problem is that our parents and society and, you know, all the our peers, everything that comes on top of that is what becomes our, you know, programming. But I believe that we're hardwired and that we can get to that deeper level and retrain ourselves out of this this programming um, that has become the 90% director of our destiny. Yeah, I so totally agree with you. <laughs> All right. So now we have led up to the technology, the goal. We understand the goal. <clears throat> I'm going to use coding and decoding in order for me to stop smoking or overcome a fear. And and you lay all this out in the book, but, you know, basically break it down for us, if you will. What do you mean when you say coding? And what do you mean when you say decoding, please? Sure. When I say decoding, which is the first part of the process, I mean um, to... Uh, Take the spontaneous reaction of, let's say, overeating or eating too much in front of TV or um, being uh, having no pow- sense of power over food. Let's use that as an example. Um, so you would use the decoding position and make these statements. I decode this. I decode toxic attachment to food. I decode powerlessness around food. I decode the need to escape because so many people overeat for that reason. And um, and just some basic simple statements within the position, what you decode. Now, some people prefer to use the word release. I like the word decode because it seems much more um, directive to the mind. I'm taking this out of my code. 
But mm. some people do prefer, a few people that I've talked to said they changed it to release and felt comfortable with that. And whatever you're feeling comfortable with is fine. So the decoding part is getting rid of the old part of the process, the old reactive pattern. And then the coding is when you use a slightly different position and you then make coding statements, again, with your eyes raised as they're closed, like I code um, comfort around food, I told I code control and power around food, I code uh, uh, comfort and satisfaction, a feeling of satisfaction in my life. Um, and that And that is both about the food and about whatever we need to escape from. And then right, you yeah. narrow that down to some basic power words like power, freedom, um, trust, peace, uh, love, whatever it is you want to do, and say those in, your, in, your, in the coding position, and then you release it. And uh, people have um, found this to be, I mean, it sounds so simple, and it almost sounds too simple, but sometimes the simpler the better. <laughs> right. Now, Sandra, as with anything, you know, there can be... All powerful modalities have contraindications to them, period, and a quotation. Yeah. So as I hear you, um, you know, is it, I mean, somebody could maybe, let's just take your example, comfort around food. Well, a lot of people misuse food for that very reason. They gain comfort from it. They use it to assuage anxiety. They use it to armor plate themselves, um, to avoid relationships. Food is their comfort. Do, well, yes, do you provide and, and that's safeguards why that... in your book, uh, you know, so that people don't create the wrong kind of coding and actually yeah. exacerbate their problems? Yeah, I do talk about that, and and, and that's why the, the coding... Uh, comfort around food is like it's it's laced it's around other statements like I code power around food. See, sometimes yes, people get comfort out of food, but um, they're they're desperate to inhale it, and there's a lack of comfort with it around and just with your with your power over it. So it, I would never use the comfort with with food uh, without also saying power around food and control and satisfaction see when you're satisfied you don't need to get comfort from your food you're satisfied with your life and you could be physically satisfied in terms of your hunger level in terms of your apostat right and my point is of course that you do discuss this and you do you know um Warn people about how they create the the statements that they use. You you actually give several very good statements. You outline seven breakthrough forces in your book. What are they, and why only these? Um, the breakthrough forces are are the forces that I think uh, that people uh, have become stuck around, and uh, and therefore. And I kind of focus on these, and a lot of the blocks that we talk about in the book, um, that I talk about in the book, are uh, blocks to these forces. And um, there, there are some basic energies, like the, the force of responsibility. People think that responsibility is just a choice. It's actually an energetic momentum in your life. If you refuse to take responsibility for your life, your life will go into a standstill, a kind of 
status quo. There's no uh, and no real energy for change. The same is with the next breakthrough force, which is action. If you have to have a momentum of action, and there are lots of different types of action. I talk about this in my book. There's action towards your goal. There's interaction, like doing these decoding and coding things. There's spiritual action, like really developing a deep peace of mind and a deep connection with your soul. There are lots of different actions you can take, and some people just don't take any. And, of course, and then they wonder, you know, why am I stuck in this same whatever, financial state, relationship state, whatever. So those are some, and some are more abstract, and you would think that they would be too, you know, new agey, airy-fairy, you know, kind of touchy-feely. And two of those that I think of are both joy and love. Joy is a powerful force in life. I'm sorry? I say touchy-feely is really good. I didn't mean to cut you off. There's nothing new agey (laughs) about touchy-feely. Touchy-feely is, in my mind, really good. really good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, joy is a very powerful force. It is not just, um, you know, some new age claptrap that you have to have joy, experience happiness to create more happiness. It's a creative force. Um, and so is love. Love is a wonderfully powerful creative force. And when you were talking about service, I was thinking about the energy of love. And whenever we bring love to an action, it is an action of service, either to ourselves or others. It, it, that Those combined, the action and the love, is, uh, it changes from just a simple action to an action of service. So those are a couple of the breakthrough forces. Expression is one, expressing your truth, being able to speak your truth, stand up for yourself, getting rid of the tendency to be shut down. So many people have these codes of staying shut down, fear of confrontation, not asking for what they need um, in both relationships and at work. So expression is a powerful force, expressing yourself you know, is is sending out your intentions and and how are you going to get your, I mean, like if, if you ask your beautiful wife, Ravinder, you know, can you get me a glass of water? You can't just sit there and, and psychically hope, although you guys are so connected, it might work. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you want to express that. You see what I'm saying? And so, yeah, so we do. have to and do I'm that in the universe. I'm going to ask you to hold it right well. there. When we come back, my beautiful <laughs> wife will comment on that, but I don't All want to right. get booted out by the computer. <laughs> the book is your Quantum Breakthrough Code. We're glad you chose to tune in today. We know you have many choices, and we hope you're enjoying the show with our guest, Sandra Taylor, and our discussion about her work and books. Remember to check out her website at sandrataylor.net. We'll be right back after paying some bills. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, 
back to the show. Welcome back. We hope you're enjoying the show. We're chatting with Sandra Taylor about her work and newest book, The Quantum Breakthrough Code. In this half hour, we will take your calls, so if you have questions, give us a call or advance your comments and questions in our chat room. And remember, I love your comments and feedback, and a great place for that is on Facebook. So I invite you to join me on Facebook today. All right, Sandra. We just played Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on the theme of Pagini. Actually, I guess that's Paganini, but uh, that's one of my favorites. Why this one for you? Well, it always seems to open my heart center. It just fills my heart when it goes into the, slowly goes into the crescendo. I was introduced to this song 
actually in my childhood by a friend, and I just felt um, transformed or transported by it. And then when I happened to see a movie called Somewhere in Time um, with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour talked about uh, traveling through time and having this relationship um, that transcended time. It just it surprised me. It, it was the theme song of that movie. I saw it on cable, and I went, whoa, this, you know, after I loved this my whole life here, um, it was a part of this movie about time, and I've always been fascinated by time. But basically, even from childhood, it just made my heart kind of zing and open up, and um, I just, uh, there's something about it that speaks to me. Well... It is a beautiful piece of music, and I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 get back to where we were. Uh, first of all, I would never ask my pretty wife to go get me a glass of water. Even if she was in the kitchen standing next to the I, sink? I would simply hold the glass up. <laughs> <laughs> she is unbelievable that way, and I mean it seriously. She... She does read my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I can ask, it's usually there. Isn't that right, Princess? I try, baby. I try. <laughs> I she believe it, great. too. Knowing <laughs> Ravinder, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, she's an incredible lady. All yeah. right. <clears throat> Let's get back to what we were talking about. Now, you basically gave us an explanation of the method before we went to break, mm-hmm. uh, the decoding and the coding. But along the way, we have discussed some other things. So where does the visualization come in, and how important is that uh, to be incorporated in your method? Well, I found that um, the coding part of the procedure just places the two fingers of the right hand right on the third eye, and you close your eyes and breathe deeply in. I found that not only you can use that for what I call tidbit coding, just saying a word or saying a statement and and there's an immediate result. But I also found that um, it it seems to spark a very uh, strong excitement for the visual. Whatever you want to visualize, um, you can do it in that position for just a few moments and it makes it, to me, it makes it feel more real and um, more present, and it, it, it kind of ignites a feeling of uh, appreciation. So bottom line is it's not critical, or it, it, it is something that I should do every time I use the technique? Uh, not necessarily. I, I am really not bound to shoulds in terms of uh, even this technique. Uh, I, I feel people... Um, quote, should, uh, use their intuition and uh, seek out what part of the process helps them the most. And there's an, uh, any number of ways that you can use it and, and in different situations that you can use it. So I think you've got to play with it and experiment with it and see what um, works best and um, is more delightful and um, beneficial for yourself. All right, now, cool. That that brings me then back to <clears throat> the coding, decoding. Let's assume, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're in 5 o'clock traffic <clears throat> and suddenly someone cuts you off and you've mm-hmm. had to slam on your brakes and you've had this reaction that 
you realize isn't the reaction you want. You know, you, you've become anger, um, angry. And, and of course, that's, you know, all of a sudden your body is flooded with uh, adrenaline and, and that inhibits the endocrine and the ANS and the immune system and, and on and on and on and on. So you know that this is just not a smart thing to do. I can't close my eyes at that point. No, you can't. But I may want to really try and use this technique at that point also because that's a perfect time to be changing the context or to do the decoding, isn't it? Yes, so, it is. And I talk in my book about how to use it during certain times. Obviously, you don't do the closing your eyes part in time, in situations where you can't close your eyes. But if you do it enough and if you know that this is... Um, uh, part of your reactive pattern, you can at other times in your life decode, um, you know, irrational anger or unreasonable anger towards the offense and code comfort and peace of mind in, in these types of situations. And then when you've done it off of that, that situation, uh, sometimes all it takes, you don't even have to close your eyes, all it takes is putting the two fingers of your right hand to the third eye and say, you know, I code comfort and peace, and then say the single words of peace, freedom, meaning freedom from this overreaction, freedom and, and peace of mind and comfort. And, and it, 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 it's incredible how it spontaneously changes. Okay, now <clears throat> what we're basically doing here is we're using an affirmation uh, and that becomes the new code, yes. uh, where the decode is removing. Uh, right, releasing. Uh, uh, yeah, a feeling, um, a thought pattern or something mm-hmm. of that nature. So let's go to mindfulness a minute, because you and I talked about this on Monday yeah. on your show. Uh, let's assume I become mindful, and, um, and I have a thought comes in, and the thought for all intent and purposes is a self-limiting thought. It's one of those thoughts that, or it's a fearful thought, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in an uncertain time with all kinds of craziness in the world, you know. And maybe you just you saw something in the news about terrorism at home or, you know, what, what the, the, the caliphate's expansion into Africa or you're politically inclined and you're all upset over the elections or the economy is bad and, and maybe you fear that, that you might lose your job. You have one of these thoughts that comes in that is that, for, that, that minimizes, if it doesn't eliminate the possibility of you appreciating the fact, quote, you are hardwired for bliss. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, is that the time to stop? You, we're not judging the thought, but the time to stop, recognize the thought, and utilize this technology? Yes, absolutely. If you can, and take a moment, and it only takes a few minutes, a few moments if you just want to do one statement of decoding. You can simply de- decode. You can simply use the decoding position and say, you know, I decode this pattern of unrest. Whatever it's unrest about, I decode this um, anxiety. I decode uh, fear and worry. And then you can then take a moment to code trust, peace, um, patterns of um, acceptance and peace of mind and 
conscious choices in my reactions and all these different things. I have dozens and dozens and dozens of sample decoding and coding statements throughout the book that deal with these various issues. And you can take a moment when you find yourself in anxiety or fear or depression, or even if someone's just annoying the hell out of you, <laughs> you can uh, decode attachment to that person and um, responsibility for that person. And then you can code peace of mind and freedom from any influence of any negative influence and um, comfort in your present moment. Okay, I have to ask you this. You know, this is provocative enlightenment after all. Yes. What do you use the technology on yourself for? What was the last thing you decoded? Um, I actually used it this morning. <laughs> I use it all the time. You know, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't use the decoding and coding as much as I did when I first got it, got the process three years ago, but I mm-hmm. used um a little bit here and there, and something happened um, with a member of the family that was very upsetting, and I first asked myself, what can I do about it? And the answer was nothing. I can't do anything about it. So my being upset was just my state of mind around it. So I decoded the feelings of being upset, feelings of responsibility for this person and feelings of discomfort, and, I, and then I quickly coded uh, freedom and, and comfort and peace in my mind and joy in my soul, and it totally turned me around. I was very upset about something that happened this morning. Other people can really annoy us or really upset us, if, especially if we love them and care about them and worry about their, you know, their lives. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, uh, I shouldn't say that. I just have two teenage boys and occasionally, well, enough said. I've got lots of questions, but (laughs) I'm going to defer and I'm going to go to the chat room. Uh, We've got callers and and I'm going to give everybody else a chance to uh, speak with you. So here we go. Out of the chat room, CB says, uh, does Sandra find the reactive patterns can also be a source of physical inflammation? She goes, CB goes on to say, more and more studies are showing that chronic inflammation inside the body is showing up as precursory to different disease processes. So the question, can uh, reactive patterns also be a source of physical inflammation? Oh, I absolutely believe that reactive patterns can be a source of a lot of physical distress. Yes. Including um, just about every disease possible, I would add. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And while I don't use the the decoding and coding process for physical healing, I have never tried that. Um, Some people have told me that they're working on certain issues with it. I'm still waiting to see that. This, to me, was more of the mental and the energetic stuff. But I, I would have to say that as you clear that energy... The, the negative energy, you're going to have um, a, lot, uh, a lot more uh, healthy experience of life. Okay. Uh, let's go to the phones. We have uh, Raul uh, out of Seattle. Oh, Say that for me, sir. Is that Raul? Raul. Raul. Okay, Raul, <laughs> you're on the air. Welcome yes. to Provocative Enlightenment. 
He has a question for you, Sandra. Go. Sure. I do. I do. Um, such a pleasure to be speaking to you both. Uh, such a delightful show. Um, I, I'm one of those that struggle with taking action. Huge. And uh, now I'm in a situation where I really need to change in my life. I need to change jobs. So I would like to know, where does all that come from? Because I still have control, but I have no control at the time. Well, you see, there's a, the sense of no control leads you to hopelessness and victimization and powerlessness in your life. You can decode all of this. Even if you've deeply, deeply held the pattern of not taking action, and I could do a reading for you, but if that would be too lengthy here. Uh, but I feel that there's a, th- this pattern is deeply ingrained from lifetime to lifetime in, in some cases. And so your lack of action, no matter what happened in the past, can be changed now. You can decode. And there's a fear here, a fear of action, a fear of taking risk. And, um, you know, that, that blocks your energy. And also I feel like you, you're easily distracted from action. Is that the case, Raul? Oh yeah, yeah. This is all of all of what it just said. It's just a, uh, it's just uh, for the things that I really love, like skiing. I know you love skiing too. I do. Uh, yeah. So that I have no problem. Hey, you can put me in the steepest slope, and I'll try my best to go down. But everything else seems to struggle a lot. Well, I ha- I have to tell you, you're even if it has been a really terrible struggle, I want to recommend that you decode. The the sense of struggle, the the sense I am I'm get, almost getting like an action paralysis, like I just can't take a step forward, I, and, and patterns of action paralysis and decode, you know, fear of taking risk and and then code seeing life as an adventure and code seeing your your every step you take as uh, as an exciting adventure just like when you're starting down a ski run you never know which way you're going to turn and it's all spontaneous and you and okay thank you so there's a trust issue here you need to trust code trust in yourself because part of your inactivity here is a lack of trust in yourself and your own resourcefulness your own resourcefulness so code those things and you can change this honey okay Great. Thank you so much. Uh, beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate oh, it. Thanks Thanks for your your call, Thank you. Uh, all right. Let's uh let's continue on here for a second. Your book provides many stories of individuals and Raul kind of reminds me of of some of the the work you've already done with uh procrastination areas that I would identify as procrastination. Let's do this, Sandra. Um uh, share with us a story or two that might, you know, uh, further assist Raul in what uh, what you've done with other people? Um, well, I had um, a young man, and I don't think this story is in the book now that I think about it, but um, I had a young man who was, um, uh, you know, stuck in a job that he didn't like, and he loved to play music. Uh, he was in construction, and um, we, uh, and he had a fear of... Um, you know, his being capable enough to make money with his music. Uh, and uh, we worked together, and he, um, 
he decoded this fear and he coded a self-trust and he coded an excitement um, and he was able to, um, he actually needed to move away because where he was living was like in some rural community where there wasn't a lot of opportunity to play. And um, I think he moved to New Orleans and he did uh, get a music job there but he also did some construction as well. So um, you can decode whatever. I had another woman who had um, a, a job potential in a different state, and uh, she was trying to sell her house, and trying to, and her house was up for sale for like a year, and it didn't sell. And what, when I was working with her, we found that she had a fear of the unknown. She was so comfortable in you know, her discomfort, it's like the devil you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's safer than the devil you don't. And so um, we decoded her fear of the unknown and coded um, the excitement of future potential and, and, and seeing life as an adventure. And within within a month of that session, and some sessions, some things are not spontaneous. They take a longer period of time. I'm not saying that things reverse themselves immediately, you can feel a difference immediately in your mood. But within a month of that session, she was able to sell her house. That, that She was holding on energetically to that house to um, help her fear of the unknown and her inactivity. And, right, and right. I, months later, I got an email from her, and she got the job that she had the potential of getting, and she was very happy. She just needed to clear that. Wonderful. I have two questions for you, and I have two minutes. So, Uh-oh. <laughs> first, first question: you uh, you obviously do sessions. If a Raul wanted to reach out to you, uh, there would be a way to do that. So, let's just take advantage of that situation, and please tell everybody uh, how they can contact you, where they can get your books, etc. Okay, well, they can contact me at Sandra at the contact page at sandrataylor.com or .net. And um, we're having a special offer on the book, Your Quantum Breakthrough Code. And they can win all sorts of prizes and be in drawings for free readings if they go to quantumbreakthroughcode.com. And that will give the instructions of how to order it and how to sign up for the, the drawings and everything. That's quantumbreakthroughcode.com. And Quantum Breakthrough um, it's also on my com. website, Sandra Taylor. Yeah, and it, you're going to want to read the book. Okay, now, here's the last question, and you've given me plenty of time for it, but this is out of our chat room. Mod Girl says, it's a great question, I wonder if Sandra ever feels like she can't decode reactions in relation to her twin. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't even thought about that. I don't have a lot of difficult reactions in relation to my twin. There are a lot of people, and I've counseled people back in my psychology practice who were twins that had surprisingly horrible relationships with their twins, and that's a very sad thing because it could be very, very supportive. But at this point in time, I haven't felt the need to decode any uh, reaction to my twin. So, well, all right, you let us know if you do have that I will. problem. Okay, I will reveal uh, her deepest secrets. <laughs> okay, again, that website is your quantum breakthrough code dot com. The book, your quantum breakthrough code. 
All right, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment, and I want to thank our guest and all of you out there for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And tell your friends, let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on our show, do please let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.